Welcome to The Experts Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thank you for listening. It's an interesting notion that for some time, schizophrenics were thought not to report chronic pain because they were thought to have an insensitivity to pain, but they do indeed suffer from pain. So this is a complex and necessary topic to explore because of its complexity. David Cassio is a psychologist in Chicago who has worked and written about this topic, and he kindly agreed to talk to us today about it. Dr. Cassio, thank you for being with us. Oh, I'm glad to be here. I suspect that many people do not think about this, that the real is a connection between the needs of the mentally ill who also have chronic pain. Care needs to be made not to overgeneralize when speaking to the coexistence of these two conditions. We're not automatically suggesting that somebody is somaticizing or that they are a hypochondriac. Can you begin by commenting about what you have seen over the years in the relationship of chronic pain and the mentally ill? I think the first thing we need to remember is that according to the International Association for the Study of Pain, pain was redefined as an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience. And what we know is that the same parts of the brain that are responsible for pain are also responsible for sensations and the way that we think and our emotions. And so this is why patients who don't address these unpleasant emotional experiences may in fact experience more physical pain and because the same part of the brain that's responsible for pain is also responsible for the way that we feel. So there's been a number of studies that have documented a strong association between chronic pain and different types of psychopathology. For example, there's been previous research to show that chronic pain is mostly associated with like depression and anxiety, but we know far less about the relationship of other conditions such as schizophrenia or obsessive compulsive disorder. So each of these mental conditions, they have their own specific treatment plans, and those are the ones that we should be following when we're approaching patients who have pain and those mental health conditions. How does a person who has legitimate chronic pain, who also has a mental health disorder, how hard is it for them to get adequate care? Does the mental health condition hinder or be a barrier to the full level of appropriate care that they deserve? Well, we know that when people with an untreated mental health disorder come into a pain clinic, they take longer to reach a positive outcome when they're compared to someone who maybe does not have a mental health concern. And the reason is is because patients may not be aware of the reciprocal relationship between both their mental health disorder and chronic pain. So this is why it's imperative that providers conduct a comprehensive pain assessment, which includes the diagnosis with a differential, but also an appraisal of their pain level from a pain scale from like a zero to 10 and their pain function, but also to include some type of psychological evaluation and an assessment of risk for addiction. Is this considered the best practices approach? Does it happen more often than not, or is it unfortunately not happening frequently enough? So surprisingly, CDC came out with their guidelines in 2016. And surprisingly, as far as my experience has been, is providers are keeping close to those guidelines. Yeah, I would say that this kind of making sure that you're having a comprehensive pain assessment is the standard of care now when it comes to pain management. Is there a sense that people with mental health illnesses, in particular schizophrenics, since that's basically what you focused on in your recent article, that there is a certain cluster of types of pain presentations that are more commonly reported by the schizophrenics? If you look at the past research, uh, patients who suffer from schizophrenia tend to report more headaches, but they also report things like arthritic pain and back pain. 
There was one specific study that comes to mind that looked at a sample of veterans diagnosed with schizophrenia. And again, they found that about 50% of them had some type of pain, but mostly arthritic, back pain, and headache migraines. We also know that patients who suffer from schizophrenia can also present with kind of bizarre sensory complaints. That may be more difficult for the pain provider to distinguish whether this is part of their pain complaint or if this is part of the mental health condition. So it would seem that a quickie visit into and out of a pain clinic could be very, very dangerous for someone who had comorbid chronic pain and a mental health issue. They'd miss it. They'd miss the the nuances here. It depends on what type of clinic. You know, most patients who get chronic pain treatment receive their treatment from a primary care provider or a general practitioner. So in those situations, what we recommend is those providers seek out mental health professionals or psychiatrists to consult in such cases. But I really do feel as though since guidelines came out last year, that a lot of providers are really trying to stick to those guidelines pretty closely, which outline need for comprehensive pain assessment, including a psychological evaluation. The comment was made that the most common form of pain reported by schizophrenics were headaches. Is that general tension headaches, migraine headaches? Uh, Do we have any sense of why headaches? You know, I don't believe I saw any real distinction between the types of headaches. If you look in the headache research, headaches can be broken down into 200 different types. I don't believe that they broke it down necessarily. I know that they did differentiate between headaches and migraines, but again, those numbers might be really small, too small to kind of compare at this time. One of the things in the uh, recent article that you put out that I found fascinating, and just for the sake of history, because I think we need to learn from history, is the notion that for a long time, schizophrenics were thought to be insensitive to pain. They didn't feel it. And so they could do all sorts of things to themselves that would hurt the normal person, but allegedly not schizophrenia. We, We know that's not true. Could you take us on a little walk of the history of this notion of insensitivity, where it came from? Sure. So during my review of the literature, a notion of a pain insensitivity seemed to be a prevalent topic in the research, especially when looking at individuals with schizophrenia. So if you look at the research as early as the early 1900s to the mid-1900s, there were a lot of scholars who were noting a lack of pain sensitivity among individuals who were diagnosed with schizophrenia. As the time went on, less pain sensitivity tended to be increasingly reported, looking at clinical experiences by surgeons, or internists and looking at the laboratory setting studies. Here's the thing is that there is no real physiological evidence supporting a pain insensitivity in schizophrenia. And so what it's believed is that the pain experience is probably more distorted rather than absent. What we know about schizophrenia is that it's associated with communication and social impairment. So it might be the actual impairments having to do with communication and socializing that is affecting the reporting of pain as opposed to any real physiological evidence. Which brings up the question, obviously, that if someone does something to themselves, if they mutilate themselves, that could be more the product of their psychoses and not necessarily the pain doesn't come from the same mechanism psychologically. This is getting circular in my question here, but if it's psychotically based, it's a completely different story. Right. The 
stance would have to be a little bit different. I mean, I, I believe that anytime it comes to any kind of suicidality or parasuicidal behavior, I think every provider takes the stance that the mental health of that individual takes precedence over any of the physiological evidence that they're finding. What you kind of see when practicing in a pain clinic, anytime there is someone that is reporting any kind of self-mutilation or if there is any evidence of that, providers do take a step back and realize that mental health needs to be the priority at that time. Do schizophrenics, statistically, do they present more frequently, less frequently for pain management? And I say that based on the fact that often, not all of them, some of them have no difficulty with social skills, but many of them might. So does that impede their ability to get good pain management? So in my experience, I see very few patients diagnosed with schizophrenia coming to the pain clinic, and there may be a couple of reasons for this. You know, first, they may never reach the point of seeing a pain specialist if their primary care provider or their mental health therapist isn't asking about pain. One of the reasons I wrote the series, the mental health series in the, the Journal of Practical Pain Management is to inform both pain specialists but also mental health providers about the comorbidity of these conditions. The other thing that comes to mind is that people who suffer from schizophrenia can also present with bizarre sensory complaints. Providers may have a difficulty distinguishing whether this is something having to do with their pain or if this is more predominantly due to their mental health. And then thirdly, like I said before, patients may have difficulty communicating about their pain. So I don't think it's necessarily one thing. I think it's a, it's a combination. And obviously a lot of the schizophrenics are on some very serious medications. I mean, all medications are serious. And that can sometimes interfere with the sensation of the world in which the people live. So how do you go past the, if you can, maybe you can't. I guess the ultimate question is here, when you see someone who has schizophrenia and they are in chronic pain, how do you design a program for them? What what are the procedural steps? Perhaps even just give us a, a case. The first thing comes to the evaluation aspect. Making sure that you're doing a comprehensive pain assessment is important. That includes not only the psychological evaluation, but that also has an assessment of risk for substance abuse. If when meeting with a primary care provider or a pain specialist, the doctor determines that further mental health intervention is needed, then they should probably refer to a behavioral specialist or consult with a psychiatrist who is working in conjunction with that patient so that way they can add that to the rest of the pain management plan that's in place. When looking at patients who have chronic pain, regardless of the mental health, we want to make sure that we're outlining treatment expectations and reviewing all the available treatment options that are available and using the tools that are available to us when determining if a patient may be benefiting from a pain medication like an opioid. So that you could use pain agreements, urine talk screens, prescription drug monitoring databases to help providers make that type of decision. A lot of the better pain clinics employ a psychologist. This is done to help develop attitudes and cognitive skills and social skills that actually help a person better their lives given the fact that they are suffering from chronic pain. I'm delighted to see that psychologists are so often part of the pain management team. Is this relatively new or has, is this growing in its popularity and frequency? Can you tell us a little bit about what the psychologist does, especially with someone who schizophrenic. The idea of an integrated pain management team was started by John Bonica in the 70s. He was like the father of uh, multidisciplinary teams. So the definition of a multidisciplinary team is that the standard of care, the physician and a nurse 
and maybe a pharmacist is involved in care of the patient. And what makes it a multidisciplinary team is when you add additional disciplines to that team. So, for example, psychologists, physiatrists, mental health counselors, social workers. There's a lot of opportunities for mental health providers, including psychologists, psychiatrists, social workers, to kind of help improve the care of patients that are coming into a pain clinic. So, you know, one is we can help with that comprehensive pain assessment that includes a psychological evaluation. We also can intervene at the patient level in different, in different ways. So you mentioned social skills training. You also mentioned cognitive behavioral therapy, also family psychoeducation, and those have all been shown to be strongly supported by research. Most psychologists are familiar with cognitive behavioral therapy, and this is one of the therapies that is similar to both schizophrenia but also to chronic pain. You know, at the provider level, we can also help strengthen and the relationship between the patient and the provider by improving communication between them. And again, incorporating the perspective of the psychologist or the psychiatrist into the treatment plan. And then from a systems perspective, there's different models of integrated care. You know, I spoke about the multidisciplinary team. But there's also supported employment, vocational rehab that have shown to be strong research support as well. Is there a quality that cultural do you find that, like Chicago has a large number of different cultural backgrounds and ethnic groups, that some groups are more accepting of getting pain management care even though they may have a mental health issue? That's a multi-level question. I hope it makes sense. Yeah, it absolutely does. So there definitely is. I will tell you that in the facility in which I work, I see people from predominantly African-American community in inner city Chicago, but we also service people from rural Indiana who predominantly are lower socioeconomic status, predominantly white. We do have very mixed population that we work with, and I will say that when it comes to mental health issues, we know from the research and from past experience that minority groups tend to have more stigma related to mental health. But what we also know is that when it comes to different mental health treatments, so for example, biofeedback or hypnosis, there are cultural and religious beliefs that might be getting in the way of patients pursuing some of those treatments. So our job as psychologists and mental health providers is to educate patients about what the research shows and how those treatments might be helpful, not only for their mental health, but also for their pain management. One of the things that is important to kind of put on the table is just how prevalent this is. People can be psychotic from a number of things, schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, bipolar disorder, simple paranoia, other things. And the number of people in the United States that by the statistics that I've read who suffer from pain can be 30 or 40 percent. So is there a, a rule of thumb about what percentage of schizophrenics or mentally ill have chronic pain? Are we looking at 30, 40 percent of the population because they are just in the population? That's a pretty difficult question to answer. I'll try the best that I can. So working in a facility as a psychologist in a pain clinic, I have to tell you that about 80% of the patients that I come in contact with have a current mental health condition or have a history of a mental health disorder. The evidence does suggest that healthcare professionals may at times fail to give complaints about physical health problems serious consideration among patients with serious mental illness, which is why we have a pain psychologist in the pain clinic where I work. But in this day and age, you know, that kind of sentiment has kind of Taking a back seat, I think providers are being more cautious now of any patient, regardless whether they have mental health concerns or not, who come in reporting pain 
because of the fears they have due to potential medication abuse, and there's a lot of regulatory pressures that are being put on prescribers now. So when providers meet with any patient, their job is to collect as much objective data to determine what kind of treatment that they're going to provide. The stigma related to mental health may not be guiding their thinking, and when they are confronted with any kind of mental health concern, that is when a psychologist or mental health provider can be the, the treatment plan. And I would, I would guess by extension that one of the real challenges is that if someone comes in and they do suffer from a schizophrenia, they could still be hallucinating. They could still be delusional. They need a very, generally speaking, tight social network within the clinic or wherever they're going to feel comfortable and really talk about their sensations and their fears and so on. And if there's a lot of staff turnover, that's really not necessarily going to be good for the person who has some fragility in terms of his ability to connect. I, I would imagine that type of thing is a real challenge for you guys. Absolutely. I mean, exactly what you're saying is, is that especially working with people with schizophrenia, it is important to have some stability in terms of the staff. You know, we are lucky. We've had the same staff for the past 10 years, so we don't really experience a lot of staff turnover. The other thing is is that in working with chronic pain population in general, one of the things that we talk to prescribers and providers about is the importance of that relationship. This is not only unique to patients who have schizophrenia, but with all patients who have chronic pain. And then, of course, it's more sensitive, and it's something that we need to be keeping in mind when working with people with schizophrenia and chronic pain. I feel like providers in general want to do the right thing, and unfortunately it's a lack of resources or a lack of knowledge where a lot of mistakes are made. And so I feel like the best that I can do and the service that I can provide as a health psychologist is to inform about what we do know and what we don't know, so that way we can get some more answers to the questions that we have. You know, Critically important, just a, a statistic that I don't know if you know, but Florida ranks historically either 49th or 50th in the United States in terms of mental health care. Uh, meaning services available. Uh, okay. We're in inner city Chicago. So right here, we don't have a problem with services because we have four or five hospital systems. Mm -hmm. But the farther, more rural area that you get, the less services that are provided. Important, very key issues. I wish we had a lot of time. We're obviously trying to just capture some of the highlights here. This is a piece of our society that, as you said at the beginning, does need a great deal more discussion. David Casio is a psychologist in Chicago, and as you have heard, he's spent a great deal of time dealing with this population of the people with mental illness and those with chronic pain and how to blend their treatments. Dr. Casio, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me.